Hello, this is the History Voyager, a podcast about history. My name is Benjamin Kitchings. As always, there are a zillion podcasts out there. Thank you very, very much for listening to mine. I wanted to talk today about something that I talk about with some of my friends a great, great deal. I have a cohort of friends that I've had for years. I met them at college when I was young. Anyway, in this cohort of friends, we have a friend of ours who passed away very young of cancer. And sometimes we get together the way friends who've known each other for a long time do. And we talk about things. And the first, you know, the first little while is, how are you doing? You know, how are you, what's going on in your life now? Just like I'm sure it is with all everybody that's got friends that you've known for years and years. And eventually... If we're talking long enough, it eventually gets around to some memory of this person who we all knew, who died so young, of cancer. And the thing that strikes all of us is how smart he was and how bright he was. And we remember how we would all come to him with problems or questions about the world or whatever, and we'd always want his take on it. Now, it might not have been the right take, and it might not have been the politically correct take, or even, I guess, the the take polite society would want you to have. But, you know, it was his take, and we wanted it. And at one such gathering, many, many years ago at this point, some somehow we started talking about Facebook, and about what Facebook was, and how we were all sort of amazed that we were all kind of on Facebook, And there was this one guy who said something, and now I think he was ahead of his time, really. But there was this one guy who said, I don't want to be on Facebook. And why not? And he said, well, because think about it. If you're not paying for something on the Internet, you're the product. So they're paying for you. They are paying for you. I remember that. I've actually never forgotten it. And here I had Facebook for years and years. I have a Facebook group now in my podcast. And then I thought, years ago, I thought, nah, it'll be fine. Everything, whatever. You know, who cares? And so I went around having a Facebook page for years. And then somewhere, my own recollection of it is somewhere in the 2010 election, Facebook fundamentally changed. And I don't mean the website changed. I don't mean that really at all. What I mean is that the people on Facebook changed. See, Facebook used to be, at least from my perspective, It used to be a bunch of friends wanting to use Facebook the way we use texting now, right? And so what it became was a way for people to talk about their political opinions. And then you go to find out that you don't actually have the same political opinions anymore, or that you might even have political opinions at all. And... 
this at first is a little troubling because, oh, you really happen to believe this or that or whatever. But, you know, it's kind of innocuous. And then, you know, at least from my perspective, because I was back in college at that time, I actually did research on Mark Zuckerberg for a project I was doing. The idea that I was forced to confront was the idea that Mark Zuckerberg was basically not essentially a nice guy. And that it was entirely possible that the reason that he had created Facebook at all was essentially to basically spy on people. or That's not even the right word. But essentially, you know, he, he was up to no good, even as a, a kid. And the thing that occurred to me was that billionaires, you know, I guess the thing that occurred to me was nice billionaires are, are hard to come by, so to say. And so if, you know, if you're a billionaire and you already were not a nice person to begin with, having a billion dollars doesn't make you more of a nice person. And so I went about my life, you know, after that, and then the Cambridge Analytica scandal hit. And when the Cambridge Analytica scandal hit, I think that was when people started to realize that maybe Facebook is not what we thought it was. Maybe it wasn't just a way to connect with people. Maybe it was actually something nefarious. Something that, you know, spies on people. And then... You know, when I research it and have friends of mine that, that know about the, this kind of stuff tell me things, it's like, oh, my God, what what have we gotten into? What, what have we done? And the thing I want to talk about is because I'm noticing it in my Instagram. I'm noticing that Instagram knows people or knows I know people and I don't know how they know that except through machine learning or something. And I don't know how I feel about that. I genuinely do not know how I feel about Instagram knowing things about me. I mean, I'll give you some examples that I'm comfortable with telling people about that Facebook knows about me. Facebook knows that I'm a fan of a team in a city where I don't live which means that Facebook knows where I live. But Facebook also knows... Facebook knows where I go. And that's because they have the location services on my phone. And you think about that. You think about, well, I don't really care if Facebook knows, but do I care who Facebook sells that to? So that's a question I've been wrestling with. Do I care who Facebook sells that to? And if you don't know who Facebook is selling things to, you don't know if you care or not. But then, you know, the older I get, the more I'm on Facebook, the more I'm starting to realize, well, I mean, the other revelation that happened was all the fake stuff that's on Facebook. And some of the fake stuff on Facebook isn't even the stuff you would think. I mean, it's not just the political things. It's you have all these companies that have these memes 
that wants you to share that meme or interact with the meme and and therefore they can tell oh well you interacted with this meme about music from the 70s that means you're this old or whatever and I know we're all supposed to not care about the corporate surveillance I know that we're not we've been conditioned basically to to look the other way at corporate surveillance but I just I don't know I keep going I keep circling back to my friend Brandon and I keep circling back to what would Brandon think of this or more to the point and perhaps more troubling if I described this to Brandon what would I say would I say that this company is here and we use it to basically to keep up with people that we used to be friends with and now we use it to tell everybody about our babies and our dogs and our cats but now you see Brandon there's all this evidence now that you can go on Facebook and basically take the identity of babies and then open up credit cards in their name they say that the stealing of babies' identity is this growing um, facet of identity theft, and it's entirely fueled by Facebook. It's entirely fueled by people putting baby pictures of baby names on Facebook, and then people whom you know actually taking these pictures and these names and then opening credit in them and God knows what all. But that's just one example. Here's another example. This company, and this is what I would tell Brandon, this company that's huge actually spies on you and it has because you have this pocket computer and then I'd have to stop and explain to Brandon what a smartphone is. But once I did that, I would say, well, this company takes your data from this pocket computer that you have in your pocket and it sells it all over the place. Your check-ins, but not even your check-ins. You're just your location services. It sells that. And then, here's another thing. Experts in the field, and again, I'm not an expert, but I, I read some of them. Experts in the field kind of think that possibly Facebook is recording your microphones. Now, that sounds crazy. And you want to think, well, that's not really possible. But then that's just because you want to think that. And then you think, well, what are they doing with those microphones? What are they doing with all that? And more to the point, just because they're doing one thing with it one year doesn't mean they can't do something else with it another year. And then when you think about the advertising world, you really get to see, well, how much data Facebook really has on people and that the fact that the advertising world actually sees Facebook and Instagram and, and Twitter and all that as basically advertising tools. In fact, Facebook essentially these days is actually little more than a way to advertise to you the way television was before cord cutting or the way radio is. And then when you have a Facebook group like I do and you, you have a podcast, you begin to realize like there's people that use Facebook as their living there's people that use Facebook as a way to connect their product with people. And then when you see that actually that's a huge amount of people and you start to realize that Facebook is essentially collating all this data that we're sharing with each other 
and they're selling it. And some of this data is, is, you know, fairly personal. And I'm pretty sure that Facebook, you know, that the people wouldn't even want to put this on Facebook if they thought for a second that actually what's really going on is Facebook is going to sell this. And the whole reason I'm even making this podcast right now is because last night and the day before, I was talking to these people on Facebook in this thread for um, about podcasting. And one of the people in the thread got really personal about all this stuff. And I just thought, you know, here's Facebook dutifully taking down whatever you're, you know, whatever you're typing, lady. And, and Facebook is totally going to sell this. And they're going to apply their, their computer voodoo to it. And they're going to be able to extrapolate X, Y, and Z. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. I give you an example of how I know that. Facebook, I follow a team in a whole other country. And Facebook, when I try to friend the, the people from this other, like, the chat groups from this team, Facebook will tell me, you don't know this person in real life. Are you sure you want to be their friend? And, you know, it's like, oh my God, how, how do you know that I don't know this person? And then when you go on Instagram, which I'm on Instagram too now because of this podcast, when you go on Instagram, that's that's really where you see how creepy Facebook can be because Instagram is always and forever showing me hey, you should be friends with this person. You should be friends with that person. And they're all people that I know from 25 years ago. And I don't have them on Facebook. I don't even have them in my phone. How does Facebook know I know these people? That's bizarre. But what's even more bizarre than that to me is the political angle what Facebook is doing to our politics to me is completely bizarre. Facebook has turned our politics into basically performance art where we're essentially, you know, we're, we're in a team like you're either like right now with COVID-19, you're either on team go out and shop or you're in team stay safe at home. And, you know, I'm starting to think, and I hate to use this phrase, I really hate to use the phrase, I see both sides, but I'm really honestly starting to see both sides of this. Because on the one hand, I get that for an awful lot of people, the, as best we know, for an awful lot of people, they really probably might not have anything to worry about COVID. But then again, we don't actually know that. And then there's another group of people that they think, well, I have to worry about this and that, and so I better stay home if I can. And I get that too. But what's weird is that what you're seeing this as performance art, where you're either on team stay at home or you're on team go out and shop. And it really basically depends on what, I guess, who you vote for. Which, I mean, really... If I was to tell Brandon about this, again, my friend that's been dead for 15 years, if I was to tell Brandon about all this, I don't even really think he would, he would just think it was weird. 
And the thing about, you know, the thing about all this is, and this is what I think is, is really creeping up on people, is that what we just did, the, the thing about staying around, staying around the house for like a month or two or whatever, that might not have been possible 10 years ago. It might not have been possible 20 years ago. I'll give you an example of, of how soon I think this really cropped up. About 15 years ago, right around the time Brandon died, I was writing a paper. And this paper was really, really long. I I hesitate even to call it a paper. It, it ended up being somewhere close to 150 pages. But it, I essentially had to do some last-minute banging out over like seven days. And what this basically meant was that I couldn't, um, I essentially, that's what I could do. I, I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't, I barely even had time to cook uh, or even eat cereal. And, and essentially at the end of this seven days, I realized, I looked around and realized, oh my God, I had done it. I had banged out this 150 pages. And then like, I thought, you know what else I did? I didn't go anywhere. I, I, I didn't, I ordered all my food in. I even managed to get a little shopping done online. And it occurred to me, 15 years ago, it occurred to me that we were headed towards a day, one day we'd be headed towards a day where this would be life. Where you could live a life and never actually see another living soul except for the parade of delivery people that show up all the time so that you can live this life of solitude. Now, I thought at the time, 15 years ago, I thought at the time that this would be way far into the future and that, you know, nobody would really want to live this life. And I wasn't really alone in that assessment. There's actually, there's a, there's a fellow named, a guy named James Burke, who's actually, you know, he's a historian of science. And back in the early 80s, he had this amazing take on what we today call working from home. And he basically described it in like 1982 or something. And in 1982, I would imagine it sounded a whole lot like Star Trek. And at the end of this like 10 or 15 minute diatribe about working from home, he essentially said, God, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean, think what it would do to a marriage, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. But the thing I think that he missed in 1982, and the thing I wonder about if he would think about this today, is what he missed was that if society thinks this is normal, or more to the point, if a certain segment of society thinks it's normal, or normal enough, or desirable enough, then it's going to become the, the common. It's going to become the norm, the modality. And then eventually, it'll be basically forced upon people. And I wonder, I really honestly wonder, if a lot of what this team go out and shop is, and I think I've said this on the podcast before, but I honestly kind of wonder if a lot of what this team go out and shop is, are these people that are saying, wait a second, if we actually do live this life where you can just live a life inside and, you know, have everything brought to you, you're eventually going to have to live that way. 
That's what really what I wonder if they're thinking. And I don't know if I disagree with that. In fact, I, I kind of do agree with it. But I also balance that in my own mind with the fact that, you know, there's this new disease that really, we're really, really new in this disease. And nobody really knows if it's going to turn stupid. Or I guess go wide, I guess is another way to say that. And I mean, I try nowadays not to be on team go out and shop or team stay at home. I, I try really hard to like look at the whole thing from all perspectives. And part of the reason I want to do that is because, quite frankly, I'm coming to see that the fact of the matter is that we're being divided for money, that we're living in a world where everybody is selling everything to us, including us. Like they're selling our things to other, to other entities, and we're doing this willingly. And Facebook is a huge part of that. And it's this corporate surveillance. And the corporate surveillance wants to continue to have us be on the platform. So I don't know if you know this, but Facebook and Twitter, etc. have done ample research into the fact that people will amplify negative posts. So they'll show you negative posts over positive posts. And that just shit says it all right there, doesn't it? That really, we're just being willing, I guess, data points in this, you know, company that just basically, you know, it's a surveillance company. And, you know, I don't know if I like that. Now, having said all that, I have a Facebook group. And I'm proud of my Facebook group. There's a lot of people on it. And hopefully there'll be even more. But see, that's just part of it. Like, I mean, if you're a critic of Facebook, you you have to then say, well, I'm on Facebook. And Facebook becomes useful. And see, that's something else that I, that I think about a lot. I think about when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I'm... I'm what the experts call a digital immigrant, which basically means, you know, I'm old enough to where I had to, you know, I had to learn the internet. I wasn't born into a world where the internet existed, or I came into my own thinking before the internet really became ubiquitous like it is now. So that makes me a digital immigrant. One of the things that I remember as a digital immigrant is this Wild West ethos about the internet. Like you could find these chat rooms and talk about pretty much whatever. And I was looking for one of those when I started my podcast up as a way to promote it to, uh, to academics and whatnot. And I was amazed that I couldn't really find one of those. I was amazed that it all funneled to Reddit and the thing that amazed me about that was how fast it had happened. Because I remember a few years ago, I was on some hockey chat rooms. But the hockey chat rooms closed, I realized. And so that gets me to thinking that this walled garden had come up. And the walled garden essentially were communicating with each other 
but we're communicating with each other in curated ways that these, I guess, these corporate masters of the internet have deemed appropriate or have deemed, and I don't want to, I don't mean like appropriate, like uh, within the bounds of society. I mean appropriate in terms of something to keep us on the chat room, something to keep us engaged with the commercial aspect of their product. And see, that's the thing, is that we're becoming less and less aware of this commercialization as anything other than normal. And, you know, it's like like these people with the, I guess you want to call them the go-out-and-shop crowd or whatever, we're going to lose authentic communication that takes place outside of curated walls. I guarantee you we're going to lose that. And one way or the other, because something else I've learned through doing this podcast and through finding ways to promote it is how much of a walled garden the Internet really is now. Like how much of the, the Internet is really has really been given over to these large corporations wanting to sell things to people and wanting to keep you engaged in commercialism and it's really sort of amazing that it it really a lot of it happened within the last 10 years i would say maybe even within the last 5 Why do I bring this up in a podcast about history? Well, if you remember, I was thinking 15 years ago that you could live a life of basically real isolation but virtual inclusion. And you would only ever have to meet a living flesh and blood human because they would bring you something. And the thing that I know, because I've studied history for as long as I have, is that major changes get to a point and then not only the powers that be, but this sort of a avant-garde group decides this is going to be great. And so let's go ahead and do this. And I think that's where we are with this. I think we're right at the point where the avant-garde group and the powers that be have essentially decided that this is going to happen. But now... I don't know if I want that to happen. I'm pretty sure I don't, actually. And I'll tell you what what drove home, the thing that drove that home to me. I was watching, there was a picture of a man, it was after the riots, and there was a man cleaning up, um, basically CNN Center. And I saw some of the captions around that. And I could tell by reading, the, I guess, the comments section that a lot of these people in the comments section have never really lived down there, and they don't really know that for a lot of people, CNN Center is essentially like it's your closest food court. And 10, 15 years ago, it, it totally was the closest food court to me when I lived down there, and I don't know what's going on there right now, but 10 or 15 years ago, if I wanted to get Chick-fil-A, 
I would have gone to the CNN Center. But my thinking was that this man was cleaning that place up because that was part of his community. It was a building in his community. It was an institution that he probably saw not as CNN, but as the place where he goes and gets lunch a couple of times or whatever. And he wanted to take pride in his community. And the thing that occurred to me as I'm watching that, and I mean, it, it literally shook me, was that that's going to happen more and more in virtual spaces too. So we're going to see Facebook as our community. Whether or not we want to see Facebook in our community or not. And I don't know if I like that. Because of the things I know about Facebook. Because of the things I know that they're doing. I don't know that that's a good thing. But I also don't know, and this is really troubling to me. I don't know that I have an alternative. I don't know that there is an alternative. Because here's the thing. Eventually, this is going to become normative behavior. And then once it becomes normative behavior, it's really, really hard to change. It's really, really hard to change societal normative behavior. Although it does actually happen. But anyway... That's this episode of the History Voyager. Thank you very much for listening. Now this is going to sound hilarious in all this talk about Facebook, but I wanted to tell you that I have a Facebook group. I'm going to leave the link below in the description. I also have a Twitter. I'm going to leave that below in the description as well. And I'm actually uh, looking forward to talking more about the Spanish flu, but I thought I'd go ahead and put this out there right now because it was something on my mind and I think that you guys need to hear this too because I don't know if you're thinking about it but I totally think you you should alrighty take care the music you're going to hear and the music you heard in front is from Andrew Vickery he's a very old friend of mine and I'll leave a link to his website please go to it support him he's a nice guy good people all right thank you very much adios mm-hmm.